Our scripture that was read came from the book of Judges, the 17th chapter, and the reading was from the first through to the 13th verses. But I only want to lift up right now verse 6, which says, In those days Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. One of the great tensions that we face in life is this constant battle between what we want to do and what we must do. This, for most people, seems like something that we have control over in our lives, but the reality is it's a lot harder than it seems. A great example of this can be seen where we all know that when we are in the presence of other people, that it's, especially when you're even sitting at the dinner table or you're involved in some kind of conversation, we all know that it is rude to constantly be checking your cell phone at the same time. Yet in our minds, we know that we want to not check our cell phones, but at the same time, it feels like we must check it. In the very same way, we suffer a similar tension between the necessity to do the right thing, which we always must do, and dealing with the reality of always settling for what we want to do, which is often the wrong Thing. Why is this such a difficult thing for us to understand and to do? The Apostle Paul captures this imagery well in the book of Romans, the seventh chapter and the 19th verse, where he states, For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. In other words, Paul is saying that there is something inherent in my nature and my character that makes me opt for doing something that I know is not right, but I do it anyway. While this is bad in and of itself, it is even worse when you do the evil and then try to make it seem as if it is something good. This, my brothers and my sisters, is the essence of idolatry. And so today, with all that is happening around us in the world and how we are struggling to make sense of the things that we cannot control and vacillating between what is right and what is wrong and what we shouldn't do and what we should do, with all of that, I want to examine this idea of idolatry by looking at the lives of three very distinct people in an unfamiliar story in the Bible in the hopes that you too might be able to see if you are, in fact, guilty of the very same things. And so I have titled today's message quite simply, The Divided Heart. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, we have now come to the preaching hour. Lord, there is so many things around us in the world, so many distractions, and Lord, very often we try to look to your word and to try to understand how we should live. 
and navigate these uncharted territories. But it can be confusing. And very often, Lord, we are not sure if the good that we want to do is even the good that we should do. And we are clear, Lord, on the things that we should not do, that thing we still do. So, Lord, help us, Lord, to understand our divided heart. And grant us words today, Lord, that may help us find our way through the darkness of this world. And may we see the light that would always be the help and our hope for our divided hearts. We thank you, we praise you, we need you, and we love you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. There is a, a humorous scene in a movie that showed the star of the movie praying before his meal. However, his prayer was to little baby Jesus. And his reason for praying to little baby Jesus is because, in his words, he liked that one the best. In many situations, we ourselves want the version of God that we like the best. The version of God that may suit our needs. For example, you may say, Santa Jesus, give me what I want when I need it. Perhaps even Fireman Jesus, save me at the last minute when I have made a mess of my life. How about insurance salesman Jesus in case you need just a little extra just to be sure? And finally, Monopoly Jesus. For who doesn't want a get-out-of-hell-free card when we need it just in case? There may be many more examples that I could use, but the point is that many of us, if we are truly honest, we want God on our terms. We want the God of our definition rather than the God of the Bible. It is a convenient God. It is a, it is a God that we can put in our pockets and pull out whenever we find ourselves in a place of need. We want to, in essence, create our own mini-God. Prior to getting into the meat of this text, I want to first draw your attention to a, the small phrase that actually permeates the book of Judges and forms the basis of understanding this book. It's the same one I read earlier, which says, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. In other words, when you read the book of Judges, you need to recognize that everyone was doing what they think was in their best interest. Because they have no king, they have no direction, they have no guidance, they have no morals, they have no ethics, they have no rules, they have no scruples, they have no nothing. They are free to do whatever they want, go wherever they want, worship however they want, do whatever they want, simply because everyone did what they felt was right in their own sight. No, not too different than what we're seeing a lot of today. Today, we're seeing a lot of people that's trying to tell the church how to be the church. A lot of people outside are trying to tell the church that you need to worship this way because a lot of people, the millennials or whoever, they're looking for church to be a certain way. Listen, my brothers and sisters, let me be quite clear. People can worship God however they feel to worship God. You can worship God however you want to worship God. But as for me and my house, we worship God the way God says to worship him. There's a difference. Because I am not God and I don't make the rules. I don't set the rules. God is a holy God. And those who come to him not only must first believe that he is, but you must come to God on God's terms, not on your own. Last time I checked, I did not create 
anything in the garden of Eden. So in the very same way, when you have no God, you might as well recognize that you today have no direction, no guidance, no morals, no ethics, no rules, no scruples, no nothing. If today you, my brother and my sister, can be honest enough to say that you have no God, then all of what I've said is true about you. And the worst part about that is when you have no God, then you also have no hope for salvation. So everyone was doing anything that they saw fit and right in their own eyes. As a sidebar, the United States does not operate with a king. Sure, we, you could argue we, we, if we even have a president. But technically speaking, the United States has a president. But we also have other branches of government, which in addition to the office of the president, also includes the Congress and the Supreme Court. These are three equal branches of government, but the real, in case you did not know, the real authority of the United States is not the president, nor the Congress, nor the, the, the Supreme Court. The real authority in these United States, in case you did not know, is the Constitution, that document. It is the Constitution of the United States. It's the reason why people, whenever they get into trouble or they're having some kind of problem with with the government or even with the citizens, the first thing that people say is, it's my constitutional right. So in other words, there's a book, there's a document that is the final authority for all those who claim to be citizens in these United States. That is a fact. Now in this climate and this time in our story, that we're about to read, Israel did not have a king, and it's the same way of saying that Israel was living without a constitution, and worst of all, with no God. Here's the background of the story. Chapters 2 to 16 on the book of Judges covered the activity of Israel's judges. It talks all about the judges. Chapter 17 and 21 record the events that took place during the period of the judges and it throws light onto the conditions going on in Israel during that time period. The purpose behind this being included in the Bible is to illustrate the low moral standards of the people during this time and their continuous drift further and further away from God and more towards the wicked practices that seemed to them a little more easier to do and a little bit more comfortable. The truth of the matter is you find yourself moving further and further away from God every time you get to the place of accountability. And that's what our constitution as Christians do for us. The Bible is a book that you think when you are reading it, what the book is really doing is reading you. And it can make you so uncomfortable that you decide that you will no longer live by the words of the book. You will try now to find your own way. Many of us, we are living right now in this world, everyone, doing whatever is right in their own eyes, not willing to submit to any authority, doing whatever is right in their own eyes. This is the context for the story. So let's talk first about this man named Micah. The book tells us, now a man named Micah, 
from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, the 1,100 shekels, let's, let's, let's make it easier to understand. The $1,100 that were taken from you and about which I heard you, mom, utter a curse, I took it. I have it. And the mother said, the Lord bless you, my son. When Micah returned the $1,100 to his mother, she said, I now solemnly consecrate my silver, my money, to the Lord for my son to make an image overlaid with silver. I will give it back to you, my dear son. So after Micah returned the silver to his mother, she took $200 out of the 1100 and gave them to a silversmith who used them to make an idol. And it was put in Micah's house. Stay with me, church. Now this man, Micah, he had a shrine in his own house. Now, I want to make sure that you all understand. The shrine in Micah's house might look like something you call your man cave or your, your den, the, 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 the place where you go and, and you offer obeisance to whatever God you may worship. And remember now, in some of these man caves, there's always the shrine of the television. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying. So Micah now has a shrine in his house. Now this man Micah, he, he, he went as far now as to make an ephod and some household gods, some little gods around his, his, his shrine and installed one of his, his own sons and he called him a priest. That's like me saying, you know what, I, I can do whatever I want, so come here, my son Osai, I'm going to now anoint you priest. Forget about whether or not I'm an ordained minister, I just want to make you priest because I can. Everyone was doing what is right in their own eyes. For in those days, Israel had no king. We're not told too much about the background of this man, Micah. His name means, who is like Yahweh. And as is true for many of the details and many of the, the, the stories we hear in the Bible, sometimes the name can be ironic, for we know that Micah in this story is nothing like Yahweh. Similarly, we are told... The word Christian, it means follower of Christ or Christ one. However, we who call ourselves Christian but do not follow Christ, we actually have the same hypocritical problem that Micah has. The passage starts out with a confession from Micah to his mother that he had stolen a significant amount of money from her. Not realizing that her own son was the thief, she cursed the one who took the money. But Micah heard the curse. And when he heard the curse, he ran to his mother, confessed to his mother, and he decided to come clean because he had heard the curse that his mother uttered. Once he returned the money, Micah's mother seems to have forgotten the harshness of the curse that she uttered. And then she gave thanks to God and dedicated it to him. Her way of honoring God is to commission the creation now of an idol, a carved image overlaid with silver. And I'm talking to mothers even right now. Be very careful when you make your sons these into these mini idols. Be very careful when you think that they are just so perfect and that they can do no wrong. And I'm not just talking to mothers. I'm talking to everyone. For your idol, you may not even know what it is. 
But going back to Micah's mother, she, she had this thing now overlaid with silver, and it's an apparent contradiction that she's offering thanks to God using a practice that God himself has forbidden. We remember the, the, the Israelites and the Hebrews, when they came out of Egypt, they made a golden calf. God did not sanction your idols. God says in his word, you shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. You shall not have any other gods before me. Furthermore, make of yourself no graven images. Sometimes we don't even see the own idolatrous contradictions that we harbor. For many of us who even call ourselves Christians, we say we love God, but we have a hard time forgiving our brothers and our sisters when they have transgressed us. Sometimes we hold on to the very things that God has told us to release, whether it's a man or a woman, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, whatever it is that God has told you to release, we hold on to it because we think we know more than God. It was was the love of money that caused Micah to turn against his own mother and to steal from her. But notice also that it was not repentance that we saw from Micah because Micah was caught. He was busted with his hand in the cookie jar, trying now to make the best of it, being more fearful of the consequence of his mother's curse than his offense made to God. This is a profound revelation for us, church. Be very careful when what you do, you become more afraid of the powers of darkness than you are afraid of the judgment of God. Be very careful when you are more afraid of Satan than you are afraid of the judgment of God. It leads us to the place where we sometimes believe that because I'm afraid of him, he can do more harm to me than God can do. But listen, you seem to think that Satan, in all his vileness and in all his cruelty, is to be more feared. Listen, Satan can attack the body. Satan can attack the mind, but he can never interfere with your spirit. And so, in fact, the Bible reminds us in the book of Matthew, the 10th chapter and the 28th verse, it says, fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him, which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. For Micah went even further and made for himself a, an ephod, which is a garment that is worn only by the high priest. Micah made for himself an ephod. He erected some idols and even installed one of his sons to be a priest. Micah practiced, my brothers and sisters, hear me clearly. He practiced a form of godliness. And if you see Micah walking around today, you might be duped into thinking he is a really holy man. That's a real holy person. But he was duped. Couldn't be further from the truth. He was doing what seems right in his own eyes. Micah suffered from what I have called in this message a divided heart, but he was not the only one. Let's talk a little bit more about Micah's mother. Micah's mother's commitment to dedicate the entire amount of, to the Lord, the entire 1,100 sil piece of silver she committed to dedicating the entire thing to the Lord turned out to be another lie. For although she had promised the entire 1,100 pieces of silver, she took less than a fifth of that amount. And instead of offering the money to the Lord, she took the money and she commissioned that an idol be made. Listen, you, don't, you do not need 
to add anything to the experience of worshiping the true God. In our culture, it might be wise to really evaluate the practice of anything that we feel we need in order to worship God. If I feel I need this and I need that to worship God, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. It is the reason why many people are rushing to try to get back into churches, not because they love God, not because they miss God, but really because what they're doing is they're worshiping worship. Listen, I am telling you right now, the church, as much as I love the church family and as much as I would love to see us all assembled in this building singing praises the worship team in position and that vibrant worship that we are used to it is not worth one of your lives I am crystal clear as the pastor of this church that I don't worship worship I worship God so I'm in I'm in no hurry to get back in the building so that I can be spending more time at your graveside let's be crystal clear so you can be doing things. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, the Redeemer of the Lord of hosts. I am the first. I am the last. And besides me, there is no God. No other. No God. Some people wear jewelry and tattoos and rituals within the church. All these things have a tendency to draw us away from the Lord and pull us into the place of idolatry. So here's the rub. Like his mother, Micah was worshiping God and disobeying him at the same time. Micah and his mother suffered from a divided heart. But if you've been following the flow of this message, they're not the only ones. This is now where it gets really tight. For when even the priests of God find themselves in the place of idolatry, the consequences and the outcomes become that much more dire. So here's what it says, picking up in verse 7, and I hope you're all following. Now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah. He was a Levite. And for those of you who don't know, the Levites were the ones, the people in Israel, who were set apart and consecrated to be priests of God. They were to serve in the temple. They were the ones to care for all of the things within the temple. And they were set apart. They did not get an inheritance of land like all the other tribes. Their inheritance was to serve God in worship in his tabernacle. But the story goes on. This man, this Levite, this priest, he departed from the city of Bethlehem in Judah to stay wherever he could find a place. He's, he's an itinerant elder walking all around trying to find a place to stay. Then he came to the mountains of Ephraim to the house of Micah and as, as he journeyed. And Micah saw him and said to him, where do you come from? So he said to him, I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah and I'm on my way to find a place to stay. I'm trying to find more and more churches that will invite me to preach so I can make a living. Micah said to him, dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me. And oh, by the way, I will give you 10 shekels of silver per year, a suit of clothes. I will dress you up nicely and, and, your, and I will take care of your sustenance. So the Levite went in. Then the Levite was content to dwell with the man. And the young man became like one of his sons to him. 
So Micah now consecrated the Levite. God forbid. Micah now consecrated the Levite. And the young man became his personal priest and lived in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, now I know that the Lord will be good to me since I have a Levite, a priest. Now, I, I, I like shot value. So this is like you saying, you know what? I'm so good and God loves me so much that I'm going to put aside a room in my house for Bishop Ingram to live in. And he'll be my personal bishop for me whenever I want. Now, as ludicrous as that might sound, what we're really talking about, and I don't want you to miss this, my brothers and sisters, I'm talking about idolatry. I'm talking about putting people on pedestals that do not belong on the pedestals that you have put them. And furthermore, be very careful of the people that you put on the pedestals of even your own heart. As if the idols weren't good enough, Micah maybe just wanted to be sure that he had favor with God. Micah finds a young Levite from Bethlehem to act as his personal priest, his, his own bishop, his own pastor. And Micah provided for him and made sure that he would always be at Micah's beck and call. He was available to Micah whenever Micah needed him. You could almost feel the excitement that Micah felt. Not only did he have the promises of God in scripture, he had an idol in his own personal priest. He must have felt very close to the Lord. He might have felt that having his personal priest would increase all of the, the blessings of Abraham. This practice we know was forbidden in the law. Priests are not there for your beck and call. They are there simply for you to be able to have an access to God and to be aware of the presence of God even in this fallen world. I have no more power over you than anyone else. In fact, Apostle Peter tells us that we're all or a royal priesthood, a holy nation. When Jesus Christ died on Calvary's tree and the veil of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom, it opened up access into the holy of holies, the most holy place, which allows everyone who calls on upon the name of Jesus access into the throne room of God's grace. So you can call on the name of the Lord for yourself and he will answer. You don't need me. I am now I'm just a man, but I will make intercession session on behalf of you because I have been imbued and endowed by the authority of our Episcopal leadership and the New York Conference to operate and to function on your behalf. I am the servant of servant, the least of these. I am not your personal talisman. The Levite in this case was as much to blame for accepting the position as Micah was for hiring him in the first place. These acts go against God's law and they were typical of the Israelites during the time of the judges. Everyone was doing what was right in their own sight. So what we see here is Micah was already operating outside of the will of God by having a shrine and an idol that he worshiped. Now he's got his own personal priest. God must be really, really pleased with Micah, for he would not have, God would not have given him all these blessings, right? As a matter of fact, what did the Bible say, Eve? All good gifts come from God. So, you know, I mean, Micah, this, that's a good gift. 
But this kind of thinking is what allows us to make people who we see selling drugs and making a lot of money and then deciding to give away a lot of it to the poor. Even though they know that what they are doing is wrong, God must be okay with it, especially since you're giving away so much of it. My brothers and sisters, the devil is a liar. The truth of the matter is God is holy and he's always going to be holy. And whether you come to things by unholy means, God is saying to you, I don't want it. As a matter of fact, when you come to the altar, to offer your prayers if you have not forgiven your brother leave the altar go make peace with your brother and then come back God does not want your pity God does not want your mercy God does not want your gifts or what you think are good gifts God wants your heart stop doing things that appear right in your own eyes I often get mad at some preachers. Yes, I do. Especially some on television who I believe are for hire to the highest tither or the highest giver. They seem to be just like this Levite priest going around praying on the gullibility of people who want to worship God but are so frail in their hearts. I'll send you a little rag. Send me $75.65. I'll send you a little trinket. I'll send you a little something. They are no different than this Levite priest. And my brothers and my sisters, God forbid, what must God be thinking? When he looked upon this world that he created from the foundations of everything, and he says, this was my good creation. Look how we have decided to do everything that appears right in our own sight. The priest, just like Micah and his mother, suffered from a divided heart. Everyone acts in ways that they feel will ultimately work in their best interest. That's what we are predisposed to do. Micah and the others in these chapters, they wanted the benefits of God on their own terms. They wanted something that they could see and could control. They wanted to be able to manufacture God without humbling themselves to his leadership. Micah worshipped God, but in a way that was most convenient for Micah. Micah worshipped at home instead of at the tabernacle and worshipped idols alongside God. But the reality is simply this, and I want to be perfectly clear. If you don't remember anything else from this message, whenever... You choose to worship God on your own terms. You have stopped worshiping God. Whenever you have chosen to worship God on your own terms, let me be clear, you have stopped worshiping God. Before we get too hard on Micah and all the others, you need to recognize the similar parallels even in our own lives. For many of us who call ourselves Christian even before this pandemic, we didn't think we needed to go to church because we have the Word Network and we have TBN. So we didn't think we needed to go to church. We could just stay home and watch T.D. Jakes and everybody else. That's where many of us were. And, 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 and if we do, and if we even do go to church, which can be and often is fairly irregular, we believe that we are better than most. Because most people ain't going to church anyway, so, you know, the pastor should be happy that I show up every now and then. We like church, but not when it interferes with the game 
or some other priority that's going on in our lives. We talk about seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things will be added unto you except when the Knicks are playing. Well, maybe not the Knicks. But except when LeBron is playing. We put the except right there in the midst of God's command. And that is the same as saying you have no constitution. You have no God. Everyone was doing what is right in their own sight. We don't tithe. But we put a little something in the plate every now and again. And even though, and I'm talking the truth, even though we feel a little guilty, knowing that we probably should give more to the church to support the work of the ministry, we know that that guilty feeling is going to wear off in a few hours anyway. Uh, we're probably going to feel better after the service. So maybe today, as you all think about Micah, and you think about his mother, and you think about even the Levite priest, and you can see their own divided heart, maybe, just maybe, you need to look in the mirror and take stock of your own divided heart. Listen, if this message is hard, and it's coming across hard, it's not my fault. It's that you are wrestling with the Holy Spirit that's trying to get you to recognize that you, don't, you need to stop acting and doing things that seems right in your own eyes. Any belief in something that you feel is ultimately the most important thing in your life, that is what we refer to as worship. The thing that you feel most important to you in your life is also referred to as a God. And if that most important thing is not Jehovah God, if that most important thing is not Yahweh, if that most important thing is not Jesus the Christ, then my brothers and my sisters, what I am telling you is that that most important thing that you are worshiping is a false idol. For you, idolatry may not look like what Micah, his mother, or even the Levitical priest is doing. But for most of us watching and listening today, your pursuit of your own personal convenience can also be your idol. Can also be your idol. If that personal pursuit is driving you for more, for more money, for more women, for more men, for more fame, for more achievement, you name it, whatever it is, it causes you to develop in your soul what I have called today a divided heart. The divided heart sets in when you doubt God and your mind splits. Suddenly, money seems to be really important. Your occupation begins to rule your very lives. You obsess about your appearance and your concern with worldly things. The root of this, my brothers and my sisters, is doubt. And yet, in fighting to keep your eyes on Christ and on stuff, you become double-minded. The divided heart is subtle. It masks itself as something worth achieving because it can always be attained without any real sacrifice. But the truth is anything that you want in your life that is worth achieving, believe me, brothers and sisters, if it is worth anything, it is going to cost you something. With a divided heart, we as Christians believe on Jesus 
but we are sometimes reluctant to commit all areas of our lives to him. We go to church, but we don't want to live out our faith each day if it deprives us of our own worldly pleasures. A divided heart, though, always results in some serious consequences. First, number one, we don't please God, and we can never attract non-believers. Because the first thing they'll say is, you're a hypocrite. So a divided heart does not please God, and it's not attractive to unbelievers. Secondly, it, it, it may take a crisis, a crisis, to show us our true spiritual decline. Crisis. When you have a divided heart that is so far away from God, God may send a crisis into your life just so you can see how far away you are from him. That's what happens when you have a divided heart. And finally, we live unfulfilled lives when we have a divided heart. Why? Because we seem to keep jumping from one pleasure to another, trying to find and satisfy the parts in our souls and can never ever close the gap between the discomfort we feel for not having peace and what God offers. A divided heart does all these three things. You are not, you, 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 you can't please God. You don't attract unbelievers. It takes crisis for you to see where you are and you live unfulfilled lives. If any of this sounds like what is happening to you, my brothers and sisters, check yourself. You just might have a divided heart. Yet, despite the cost that you pay for the good things in your life, there is one cost that was paid on your behalf and on mine. And this cost was not borne by you or by me, but it was borne by the one who made sure that when he paid this cost, it was paid once and for all. This cost I'm talking about was the cross of Jesus Christ. And when he paid this cost, it was the only cure for the divided heart. The Bible tells us no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So if you are watching and listening today. And you find that you're being tossed back and forth in your mind about what is dividing your heart or driving your heart. Whether it is money or a loved one, a job, a career, your appearance, your self-esteem, your self-worth, whatever it may be that is driving you further and further away from the living God. Then I want you to know today. That Jesus and Jesus alone is the cure for your divided heart. The scriptures tell us. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's what the scripture says. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Submit yourselves to Jesus and he will mend your 
and my divided hearts. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved. <laughs>